What's up, y'all? Man, it is good to see you. I would love to hug you, but I won't. Unless we do in the parking lot. Just don't tell anybody. It's good to see you guys. Thanks for coming. I got to tell you, I'm a little bit nervous. Um, I'm used to talking to a camera for like the last three and a half months, so people scare me. I want to just come and say, I see live people, right? So that's just kind of adds to the, the weirdness that it's been. Um, but glad that you're here. Uh, appreciate it. You're wearing the mask out in the common spaces. Uh, I, I love seeing the creativity behind the masks and how you design and stuff. I just have an old regular, regular mask. It's not very creative, but I want one. So there you go. Um, in fact, somebody told me the other day I looked good in a mask, and I wasn't wearing one. So I don't know what that means, but um, it's, it's really good to see you guys. We have missed having you here. It's been very weird, huh? Yeah, but it's good to be back together, and of course, not everybody feels comfortable being here. That's fine. No worries there. Uh, we're just glad to get some folks back into the space. Uh, this is Brad behind me. Brad is an artist, and Brad, throughout this message, is going to be, yeah, let's give him a hand. Go, go, Brad. There you go, Brad. All right. Uh, so he's going to be illustrating the, the point of the message this morning. This is obviously a significant message as we come back together, because it's kind of starting to answer the question, what is church? That question has been on my mind. I don't know if you've thought about it much uh, over the past three and a half months, but what is church? You know, before COVID-19, we always talk about, you know, church is not the buildings and church, you know, like, yeah, yeah, okay, great. We, we've heard that before, but now we've been living it for three and a half months. And it's evident that the church is not buildings. We are the church. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so the church has been at work. The church has been being the church wherever it's been. We have, I love this idea, the church has been deployed. I love that image because we've been out in, into the neighborhoods. We've taken the church to the streets where it's supposed to be, where we come together on a regular basis to encourage one another, learn, train, study, struggle, and then we go back out. I mean, we've always been deployed as a church. It's just this thing has helped us to realize the importance of taking the gospel to the streets. So I just want to kind of deal with it. There's some questions that we've been asking. There's some questions we still need to ask. Uh, and still need to pursue in all of this. And so I just want to kind of lay those out this morning as we talk about it. And I, I was reading a story recently. NPR has a, a video series of some of their interviews. And it's called The American Life. And so it's just a series of interviews of different Americans and different cool stories. And one in particular was a story of a photojournalist and something that had happened to him. And in the interview, he just is very honest. He said, a lot of times as a photographer, as a photojournalist, we are out there recording and taking pictures of people that are going through major crisis. And we're just there to record it, not necessarily to intervene. And he tells about a story that actually happened to him once he was sent out on assignment, a hurricane was coming into the coast. And so he was sent out to take pictures and record as this coastal storm came on shore. And so He's showing these different slides of the pictures that he was taking. The first slide is, is the beach, and you can see the storm out in the, in the distance. You can see the waves. I mean, they're real choppy, white cap, really big out in the ocean. And this lady is standing on the shore. She's got a beer in her hand or something. She's just kind of watching as the storm comes in. And so he's taking pictures of that. The next thing he notices is that there is a wave coming towards this woman standing on the beach. Not sure why she's not running away, but she's standing there watching it. And so he sets down his camera and he watches as this wave 
hits this lady. Of course, the water comes on, and as the water recedes, he notices that she is face down in a shallow water as the water recedes back in the ocean because the sand underneath her feet had been washed away by that powerful wave. And he's not sure why. She, you know, she's dead. Is she unconscious? Is she drunk? Not sure why. She's just laying there. And so he says, I thought to myself, hey, I've got the pictures I need. I need to go see if I can rescue this woman. And just as he's about to start, he sees two men making their way towards the lady. And as he's taking pictures of this, the next shot that he shows is these two men approaching. They're still a little distance away, but the lady's got her hand up. So she's, she's conscious, at least, and, and alive, and she's reaching for help. So these two men are approaching. He just stops, and he continues to take pictures to record this event. And then the next slide that he shows is another giant wave coming on shore. He said, this one's like about 20 feet high. And the two men that were headed out to the lady, they start to kind of back off from this wave, seeing what's about to happen. The next picture he takes is the water receding back into the ocean and the woman is gone. So what he's realizing is I have been recording, taking pictures of this woman who has drowned. And it so rocked his world and he got a lot of criticism of this. Why would someone stand there and take pictures and record an event and just watch this woman drown? And it really changed his whole trajectory because from that point forward, he only took easy, fun pictures because he said they're less of a burden. He said, honestly, I had an opportunity to intervene, but I chose to just sit back and take pictures. And I thought about that story in light of what we've been going through in this pandemic because I think it signifies for us the different opportunities we've had during this whole pandemic, this whole world crisis. Because some of us, honestly, we've been like that photojournalist. We've just sat back, take pictures, post, tweet, observe, but not been involved. Others have gone out of our way to make a difference, to rescue, to reach, to encourage, to check on, to phone call, to drive by, to deliver groceries, to reach out to those who are struggling, whether emotionally or physically. And probably a vast majority of us, if we're honest, we've been overwhelmed by this wave. We've had the sand knocked out from under our feet. The foundation that we built our life on, the things we put our hope and our trust and our faith in have been taken away. And so I think in some aspect we can all relate to this story. In light of this worldwide crisis, we are experiencing. You guys know the virus is not gone, right? Yeah, I can tell by your masks, right? So I just want to talk about that this morning because I think it brings a lot of questions up. First of all, and, and I encourage you to write this out. I don't know if you're a journal, journaler or not, uh, but uh, it's easy for you to say. Uh, I would encourage you just to write out, what have I learned through this? One of the things we've talked about, you know, there's no one we could call and say, hey, you know, the last time when you faced a worldwide pandemic, what did you do? There's never been anything like this. So it's not a book we can read or somebody we can talk to about how to handle this. We've all been kind of learning as we go. So what have you learned? One thing I've learned is that my world can change overnight. If you think about it, the last time we were together in church was March the 8th. The last time life was kind of normal for us was Friday the 13th of March. I'm not reading anything into that. I just think it's weird. 
I mean, we already, Sunday was planned, Sunday was ready. We were ready for Sunday the 15th to go. Spring break was coming, but we had everything lined up, ready to go. And then we get the phone call, hey, we're really encouraging you guys not to meet. So we complied with that thought. And then that was it. Everything changed. Good things changed. (laughs) The thing we love to do stopped overnight. Through this process, so many of us, we've lost jobs. We haven't been able to connect relationally. We've lost a lot of things, which just reminds us that everything on this earth is temporary. Everything we build, everything we amass, everything we store, everything we save, it's all temporary. And that's scary, right? That's scary. Because in some sense, we feel like we need all these things. The other thing that I think we've learned is the need that we have for community. That's why life groups have been so essential during this time. I think one of the reasons we've been able to be successful as a church is because of our life groups. I love seeing pictures. I love hearing the stories, how you guys are meeting together. You're streaming online together. You're caring for one another. You're calling each other. You're driving by each other's house. You're checking on each other. That is beautiful. That is exactly what a life group is supposed to be, that we take care of one another. It's hard to take care of the whole of the church, but when we have small groups taking care of one another, that's why it's so important that you're in a life group. You need to be in one. We preach that all the time. The well-checked calls that we give, just checking. Maybe we can't see each other face-to-face, but we're Zooming. (laughs) I'm so tired talking about Zoom. (laughs) I'm so tired of meeting on computers. But it's great that we have it. It's been cool. But just finding creative ways, FaceTime, Skype, whatever, to check on each other has been beautiful to see and definitely something we want to continue to do. But we discover that we're made for community. I think even the most introverted of introverts have discovered through this, I need people somewhere in my life at some point, all right? Because we're wired that way. We're built that way. God designed us for a community. I think some of the things we thought we had to have, we realize now we, we don't necessarily have to have. And that's in light of church, right? It's changed us. We're not going to be the same church we were before we entered into this pandemic. Because we've learned a lot of things. One of the things that we've learned, and this, this pains me to say, it's difficult for me to say, but we don't have to have coffee. Here, served in our coffee bars. I thought they'd get more of a reaction. Bring it, bring it with you, please, please. I've seen Baptists without caffeine. It is not a pretty picture, right? Bring, bring your own and bring me some, but bring your own, all right? So we're just not, we're not doing that right now. We don't have to have bulletins. Now we have a virtual bulletin. Sam mentioned our church app. You need to have the church app. It's got all the stuff that you would have in a bulletin plus more. Services, streaming, there's so much more. Make sure you have the First Baptist Burleson app. Download it on your smart device. We don't have to pass offering plates or offering buckets. You can give online. We've seen an uptick in people giving online, which is awesome, which we need you to do. We do have offering boxes, so we're not going to pass plates anymore. We have offering boxes for you to be able to drop if you want to bring. You can always send them in the mail. 
But you can give online. You can give on demand. You can give whenever you want to. Right? So that's available to you as well. Uh, we have our Facebook page. We have our website. There's just ways for you to stay connected. And so we ask you to choose to stay connected with us. But there's some things we just don't have to have anymore. You don't have to have your own seat. Although I see some of you sitting in the same seat you always sat in. This was your chance to move, but you didn't. That's all right. Your chair may be infected. Yeah, it'd be interesting to take a survey of what you've been doing in your home as you've watched online in your life groups. Did you sit in the same seat there? <laughs> like every Sunday you're like, I got the recliner. No, that's dad's chair. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's just interesting to me. Maybe not you. We don't have to have buildings. I think one thing that's been really clear to me is consumerism does not belong in the church. That's just something we battle. That's, that's the American church plight. This idea of consumer, we're so consumer driven that it easily spills on into our worship, our idea of church. Well, I don't like that. I don't like this. I want this. I got to have this. It's got to be this way. It's got to be my way. It's just hopefully erased all that. Because when you really think about it, consumerism is just a form of pride and pride is sin. And somehow we think we know how to tell God how worship ought to happen. That's a problem. So I, I pray that that's just been stripped away. When the music fades and it's stripped away, then we humbly come. We truly come. We honestly come before God. It's been good to be here today, hasn't it? To be able to come together as a family of believers to worship together, something contagious about it. We've also learned that, I mean, we, we talk a lot about the number of people on campus, but that's not necessarily so significant anymore. Now we're talking about influence. We have people connecting to us all over the world, different countries that are watching our online services. So we're having conversations about that. So what do we do now? How can we form a life group in Africa? Because it's more than just watching worship. We need people to connect. We need, maybe this is a way to plant some churches or satellites. Because now our eyes have been opened to something. We knew it existed, but we never really thought about it. We were never pushed to that edge, but now we have been. So let's talk about that. What is, that, what is God doing through that? I love that conversation. We truly, from Burleson, Texas, can take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's awesome, right? Hey, put a fire emoji up or something, right? Talk to me. Let's go. We cleaned the place so you could be here so you could talk to me. I can hear, that's fine, just say something, all right? So what will we continue? Online services, we're going to continue to improve those, use those. Again, we're excited about where God's going to take that part of it. Uh, well checks, we want to continue to care for one another. That's been an exciting thing. You guys have done a great job of loving on each other, caring for one another, and not just church members, but people in our community. Let's keep that up. Life group leaders still checking on. We've got trustees, we have deacons, we have people, staff. Let's keep doing that. Maybe we don't have to call as often, but let's not, for, let's not let that die. Let's keep checking. Because one of the things we've discovered is we need each other. We need each other. We are desired and designed for relationship. Relationship with God, relationship with each other. We're not complete if we don't have relationships with people. Love God, love people, right? That's our mission. I love the story about Alex Haley, the author of Roots. He has a painting in his office. Apparently, I've never been there, but I've heard that there's a painting of a turtle on a fence post. 
He says it's a conversation starter. Because people say, well, explain that painting to me. He says, well, if you ever see a turtle on a fence post, you know someone put him there. <laughs> he didn't get there by himself. I thought that was great. He says he, he uses that to kind of keep perspective on what he's accomplished and where he's arrived and, and just humbles him to realize that he didn't do that by himself. He didn't do that on his own. As we talk about this pandemic and where we are now and where we're headed, be reminded you didn't get here on your own. You're not going to make it out on your own. You're not going to thrive. We're not here just to survive. We want to thrive. We want to persevere. We want to come out stronger, healthier, more committed, more connected. And we can't do that on our own. One of the things I hope people have understood, again, back to the idea of the American church, is that we are in a covenant relationship to each other. As a body of believers, we have coveted together to do our part to strengthen one another, to bear each other's burdens, to care for one another, even if it involves sacrifices. See, that consumerism mentality says, well, I'm going to go ahead and find another church because I don't like what's going on in my church. Or I don't like the way they did that, or I don't like the pastor's hair, which nobody does. But it's just that, like, okay, well, this, okay, I've just got to go because it's not meeting my, and let's be honest, my preferences. That's why this Discover First is so important. We ask people to sign a covenant when you join. I am coveting my life to join with other believers because I believe God has called me here. And as a family, and you have family, you know it's not always easy. <laughs> you know you don't always like it or like the other person. But we commit to love each other regardless. I think that's one thing that's impacted the American church in such a negative way. We've let consumerism sink into our minds to where it really has become about our preferences rather than seeking the Lord. That's a dangerous place, and I pray that we don't go back to that. Say that. All right, thank you very much. Um, that we will continue to view each other as essential. <laughs> that's been a word, huh? Essential, non-essential. Can I just remind you, in the eyes of God, you're all essential. Everyone is essential. Of every tongue, of every nation, of every color, of every background, of every economic status, we are all essential in the eyes of God. We are all image bearers of God. So may we always remember this. And may everyone who interacts with us feel valued feel that they are essential regardless of what anybody else says. Philippians 2.3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, listen to this, see others as more significant than yourself. Boy, that's a paradigm shift, isn't it? See others as more significant as your, than yourself. That's why some of us are wearing masks. Not for me. I, I hate that thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I look good in it, but I hate it, right? No, it's not, nobody looks good in the mask, <laughs> let's be honest. But we're on equal plane. But if, if truly it's going to help, then let's help each other. See, others is more significant than yourself, not looking to your own interests, but 
each of you to the interests of others. Galatians 6.2, this carries this idea. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Carry each other's burdens. But wait, I've, I've got my own burdens. Yes, you do. That's why you're not meant to be alone. That's why you're not meant to distance yourself from other believers in Christ because you're helping me carry my burden. I'm helping you carry your burden. Guess what? It's easier to carry our burdens. That's the beauty of the family of God, the church. Don't isolate yourself from the family, from the body. We're going to find ways to plant churches and plant satellites using technology. We're going to continue to be obedient in the area of giving of our finances. This is one of our strategies that we invest in one another when we give financially. It's been a beautiful thing. March and April have been the biggest giving months that we've had in over 13 years in our church. Yeah. <laughs> Come on now, that's not a golf match. Let's clap that baby up, right? Yeah, that's a, it's incredible. And a pandemic. People have stepped up and given more, listened to the Lord, been obedient. What I want to say, but I won't say, that if you still have a job now, you better be given to the Lord. But I'm not going to say that. Thanks, Sam. Appreciate that. I got one. But isn't that a way to honor the Lord? It's allowed us to continue to minister. Hey, there are some churches that are going to have to shut their doors. Because they just, they're not going to make it. Praise God that we... Or not one of those. So the next question is what is needed? What is needed is lives that mirror Christ. That's just, the, that's the image. That's the description. What is needed? What is needed from the church? Lives that mirror Christ. That live what we say. Paul addresses that in Colossians 3. And this is our, our main passage. Colossians 3, starting with verse 12. This is what he writes to us who are the church, believers. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Isn't that cool? Dearly loved. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Shel Silverstein wrote a short story called The Little Blue Engine. And in that book, wrote this phrase, the engine is speaking, and says this. If the track is rough and the road is tough, thinking you can just isn't enough. As you look at this list of virtues that we are to put on, just thinking that I can live that way isn't enough. Just thinking that I can be humble, I can be gentle, I, okay, I can say that, I can do that, I can quote that, I can memorize that. That's not enough. How do we live righteously? How do we live these? Just knowing them is not enough. How do we live them? How do we live rightly? How do we get a vision of what it means to live in the Spirit? If we are the church, the temple of the Holy Spirit... And these are my virtues, these are my characteristics, these are my attributes. How does that happen? Well, he describes that for us in just a minute. 
But one thing it's going to involve is interacting with one another. I mean, let's, let's be honest. It would be a lot easier to be nice and friendly if we could just self-quarantine ourselves away from everyone. Can I just tell you honestly, lovingly, in some aspects, not having you here on Sunday morning has been easier. <laughs> I don't have to listen to your problems. I don't have to listen to your complaints. I have to run out of coffee. It's just been, I'm just straight up, it's just been easier, right? But what a terrible way to live. Because it's in that sharing of each other's burdens. It's in that looking at others' interests above my own. It's in helping you carry what you're dealing with, you helping me carry mine, that makes it work, that makes this covenant, that makes it successful. I'm glad you're here, by the way. <laughs> this is much better. <laughs> so let's not self-quarantine ourselves away from responsibility of caring for one another, of investing, of even sacrificing for one another, that no one will ever feel alone because loneliness is a terrible, terrible thing. So there has to be, according to Paul's words here, a leaving and a cleaving. We talk about leaving and cleaving in pre-marriage counseling or marriage counseling that in order to cleave to your spouse, you have to leave. The Bible says a man shall leave his father and mother and unite with his spouse in marriage, right? So we understand that. And that causes a lot of problems in marriages because husband or wife never fully leaves parents. So you can't fully cleave if you don't fully leave. And that's what Paul is saying. It's kind of the idea. You can't fully cleave to these new virtues because of the Spirit of God, if you don't leave what you used to be before Christ, if you don't leave all of that. So this is how we do it. And this word that he uses, to clothe yourself, some translations say put on, this is, it's an imperative. In other words, this is a command. Just like now the edict is when you go into a business, we are commanded to put on a mask. This is kind of the same idea. He is commanding us. It's not a wish or hope or, yeah, I'll get to that or I'll put on half of that. No, it's a command. If you are truly in the spirit, you will put this on. And this is how we are to live. And, and it's metaphorically speaking of putting on a characteristic. It's not just putting on a Jesus shirt. It's putting on a new characteristic that only comes from God in your relationship to him. And so basically his point is, Recognizing your new identity in Christ means that you will live in a new way. You will live a new lifestyle. Yeah, we're tempted to go back to the old, but we don't live that way anymore. We've made a commitment to follow Christ. And so these virtues, this list that he gives us, it is a result of our new identity. It doesn't create our new identity. That's very important to remember and to know. It's not, he's not saying if you're gentle and humble, then you will be a child of God. No, he's saying because you are a child of God, you should be gentle and humble and kind. And this is how we should interact with one another in the family of God, that the world might see and believe in Jesus Christ. So put on these virtues. And then he gives us the basis, the motivation. Why should we act this way? Because we are children of God, chosen by God. And we are holy and dearly, deeply, unconditionally loved. So let that be our motivation, 
to love one another, to forgive one another, to bear with one another. And let's be honest, sometimes we have to bear with each other. Come on. Right? You guys are messed up. And what's interesting about this, the way he describes it, it is not meant to be lived in individuality. These attributes, because you are a holy people, a chosen people, the idea is this is to be lived out in community. Again, it'd be easier if we did it by ourselves, but he says, no, you've got to interact. And then he goes on in verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Man, that's a powerful word for today, isn't it? We are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. It was good to sing to the Lord together today. And whatever you do, and here's the kicker, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Well, wouldn't that change how we do what we do? If we would consider that we are doing it all for the Lord Jesus? Jesus chose us. God pursued us. God revealed himself to us to save us, but also that we might live in accordance with his call. I love this quote from David Platt. Everything Christ does in me is intended to affect everyone Christ puts around me. Isn't that awesome? Way to go, David. That's awesome. That removes individualism, doesn't it? Everything Christ does in me, everything Christ does in you is intended to influence, to impact, to connect to the people that he puts around you. That's one of the things I'm so excited about what we've experienced because we've taken the church to the street. Vacation Bible School is going to be in neighborhoods this year. We finally understood the importance that our neighborhood, our street, the people that live around you, that is your mission field. You are called to be a missionary. You are to be the message of truth, the gospel to those around you, to hospitality, humility, gentleness, sacrifice, loyalty, commitment that others might know who God is. This is so awesome, man. What God is doing through this and how he has changed the church universal, worldwide to understand. It's great to be able to come here and meet together, and we need to be together. We're designed to be together, but it's so that we might be deployed out into the field, out into the battlefield, out into the mission field. It's always been that way. We just forgot about it. And God said, all right, I'm going to slow you down, shut you down to remind you, you are the church, and the church is meant to be out there. Yes, come together. It's important that we do, but this isn't it. It's not all of it. We're called to be sent out. I've talked to more people that have met neighbors through this pandemic. Neighbors have lived there for 10 years. I just never had the chance to meet that person. Well, yes, you did, but it just took a pandemic to get you to. That's your mission field. If they don't know Christ... That's why Christ put you there. You ever thought about that? 
The house that he put you in is strategic for the kingdom. The job he put you in is strategic for the kingdom. The club, the sport, the school, he put you there for a reason. That we might live this life, these virtues that others might know. He says, live at peace with the Christian community and the world. And this is how it happens. Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of God dwell in you. I, I hope you've taken advantage of this downtime to spend more time in the word. Memorize, meditate, dig deeper into the word of God. This is how this happens. This is how we're able to accomplish what he's challenged us to accomplish, what he's commanded us to do. By letting the word of God dwell in us. N.T. Wright said it this way, the church is to be stocked with good teaching as a palace is filled with treasures. So there's a connection here between the dwelling of the word of God and the teaching and admonishing one another. And that's a key word. Admonishing means warning. So this takes it to a whole other level of intimacy that we have towards one another. That when we see a brother or sister in Christ straying away, giving in to temptation, giving in to sin, it is our responsibility to snatch them back. We are our brother's and sister's keeper. Well, that's the way he's chosen to live. No, 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 no. Go get him. In love, but get him. Go tell her what she's doing is going to ruin her life. Sometimes we just need somebody to walk up and get in our face. We know what we're doing is wrong. We just need somebody to help us get out of it. That's why we're built for community. One example of this has been on the news quite a lot lately is this whole issue of racism and injustice. We can't deny that it's real. We can't deny that it doesn't exist in the church. So if you see a brother, for example, you see a brother or sister in Christ that has a struggle with racism, making racist comments, racist behavior, it is your responsibility as a loving brother or sister to confront that person about their sin. Racism is sin. And if I see you or you see me headed down a path of sin, it is our responsibility if we truly love one another, if we are truly covenanted to, together, if we truly want to make a difference, then we have that critical conversation because I don't want you to be destroyed. Are we ready to love each other to that degree? Did we miss each other that much? Man, I hope so. I hope so. Again, I love this imagery. The church is deployed to fight against evil and injustice. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not against other image bearers. Our battle is against the forces of evil, Satan himself and all his armies. That's why this image is so significant. This is a sword. The virtues that we just listed, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, these are our weapons against evil and the injustice in the world. Reminiscent of the armor of God, put on the armor of God, helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, 
shoes of the gospel, shield of faith, sword of the spirit, shield and sword are offensive weapons used to fight back. We as the church are not called by God to sit back and just take it. Sit back and, oh, how terrible this has been, how messed up the world is, the world is in crisis. No, he has called us to attack it, to go forward in strength and in power and in might of him because as he tells us, not even the gates of hell can stop the church, baby. Come on. Right? This is what we've been called to do. This is a sword. He's given us the victory. Why do we act like we're defeated? The world is messed up. The world is in crisis. But you know what? It was long before COVID-19. And if there's a cure discovered for COVID-19, the world will still be messed up. But it is our responsibility as the church of God through the power of the Holy Spirit to be deployed onto the battlefield to rescue those souls from the enemy. That without Jesus, we'll spend eternity in hell separated from the love of God. May we never be complacent. May we never be consumeristic. I think I just made that up, but may we never be comfortable again. Because our world has always been in a pandemic. It's called sin. And it separates and it destroys. And it brings suffering. <laughs> but we are dearly loved. We will never be the same. So I just want to challenge you today to consider, to write down, what positive changes do I need to make as a result of what I've just gone through? And honestly, maybe for some of us, the first step is confession of our sin. I don't know about you, but part of the humbling experience I've had is <laughs> dealing with my own sin. Sinful attitudes, sinful behaviors, sinful thoughts. Spending time with the Father has just <laughs> brought those into the light. As 1 John 1, 9 says, we will confess our sins. He is faithful. He is just. He will forgive our sin and he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Jesus is a lot better than the best hand sanitizer out there. <laughs> Let's pray. Jesus, we are your church. We are here to do what you have called us to do. Know what we want, not our opinion, not what we think, but to follow your will and your plan. You have uniquely gifted and created First Baptist Burleson for your kingdom. All we need is you. 
May we not waste this crisis, Father. May we embrace the new normal. May we be bolder. May we be more courageous. May we be more sacrificial, more uncomfortable. That the world might know that Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our salvation. Use us, Father, for your will. And I pray to you, God, may we never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen.